politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and minimen standing at the ready to fight anew for life, liberty, property, and everything that matters in between. It's going down, and we are out of time here at CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today on Wednesday, and yeah, we are kind of out of time. I wish I had three hours today. There are so many fundamental occurrences in the news and politics and elections that are such teachable moments that are so important to extrapolate upon, not just in terms of commentary, but for the purpose of what do we do, implement outcomes. You get the governance you deserve. You get the governance you fight for. Hey guy one six, you have sown much and you bring in little. You eat without being satiated. You drink without getting your fill. You dress and it has no warmth. And he who profits, profits into a bundle with holes. That in itself, I think more than any other verse in the Bible, describes the conservative movement at this point. We satiate ourselves on a lack of efficacy in our own views. We satiate ourselves on daily memes. We satiate our desire to accomplish something through... Not achieving our stated goals, but social media. And that gets into Daniel's doom theorem. Daniel's doom theorem, let's call it that. The GOP and MAGA Inc. are like the COVID shots. They benefit from negative efficacy, right? The more the shot didn't work and actually spread the virus, the more they got to reap the benefits of their own perfidy by coming in and saying, oh my gosh, there's so many COVID cases, you need more COVID shots. Same thing here. The more they actually ensure that we continue in every primary, every legislative session, even in the red states, to have bad policies, the more the left floors the gas pedal on their policies, the more things get horrible, the more our voters are anxious, the more you could profit off of that angst. Because why solve the problem? Meaning, imagine being in Florida right now. You're a Florida commentator. It's not that it's perfect and there isn't more to do. Just suspended another Soros prosecutor. But it's being done. So there's not much to, you know, doom porn off of. Profit porn off of doom. And this is the moral hazard we're in right now. Our people aren't red-pilled enough with direction and purpose because we don't have a leadership doing that. And that gets into the news from last night, the election news I want to get into. Um, But first, as I give you a 2020 vision on politics that nobody else will give you, um, the reality is a lot of people don't have 2020 vision, even if they have glasses. We all know that driving at night in particular is not fun if you have glasses, hallows, rain, bright, oncoming lights make it difficult. Street signs are uh, hard to read. We find ourselves avoiding uh, going out at evenings as as we get older. You know, I'm not there quite yet, but a lot of you are. The reality is our pupils change size based on the light. In dark, our pupils obviously enlarge. With better spectacles from Rodenstock, your dusk and nighttime driving is is great. The technology and the lenses take into consideration that your pupils are going to enlarge. 
and they accommodate that. Also, they have great anti-glare coating, um, which is free for our listeners. It comes automatic. Uh, they, they tell me that they have never had a failure on their coating in 35 years. Um, a lot of a lot of times they you know the streaking comes off. You see streaking because it comes off. Um, great quality in my lenses, obviously from their biometric Intel glasses uh, from Rodenstock. So go now to BetterSpectacles.com/slash/conservative to schedule your teleoptical appointment today and get sixty one percent off, like I did and the rest of my family. Go now to BetterSpectacles.com/slash/conservative. So I want to talk about the election and and. You probably think I mean the abortion or you know de facto abortion referendum in Ohio. I do want to get to that, but I want to talk about the election that nobody is going to talk about. And the fact that they're not talking about it in, in itself is the problem. You see, right now we are in a situation you can't live in blue America. Blue America is done. Anarcho-tyranny, you will never get that back. Increasingly, the swing states are moving in that direction. So the best you can do is fortify with wall builders like Nehemiah your areas to make them actually red and staunch all liberal policies, implement and actually denude the left of their power sources through corporations, through third-party infrastructure, through the education system like DeSantis is doing in Florida. We need that in every state. Yet you go to states like Mississippi and Alabama, and they're trash. These may as well be blue states. So last night we had elections in Mississippi. And this is a teachable moment. Delbert Hoseman, the chambercrat, literally, if you had to draw a caricature of a Chamber of Commerce candidate, that's who it is. He's the incumbent lieutenant governor. He won re-election against Chris McDaniel. I was like the only one in conservative media promoting him. And there's an important lesson. So, Hoseman avoided a runoff by about 1.6%. So, pretty close. I think he got 51.6% because there was a third third candidate getting like 5%. Chris maybe got 43 and this other one got 5 So, it wasn't, it wasn't that far off. So, on the one hand, obviously, he overperformed relative to, you know, a challenger against a sitting incumbent who didn't have a scandal – and, you know, nothing that he did overtly to tick people off other than just being, you know, a do-nothing in the legislature, giving the committee chairmanships to the Democrats. But, you know, Chris did have a lot of name ID relative to other challengers from his two previous statewide runs. So he did about what I thought he would do. But it wasn't enough. But it tells you if the big names would have come in and focused on this, he would have won. There's no, no doubt in my mind. And this is what we've been facing for 15 years in my career, but I mean, obviously longer than that. We are not one inch further along to winning primaries than we were 15 years ago, than we were before Trump. Trump could have been that great equalizer getting in there. Of course, ignore the race. I guess at least I should be thankful he didn't actively endorse Hoseman. I don't think he did at least. And then every single open seat in the state legislature was essentially won by chamber Republicans, including we actually lost an incumbent in the state house. And then a handful of good legislators were either didn't run again or were termed out. They have term limits there and they were run. Those seats were flipped by the chamber. 
Now, you might think, well, Daniel, maybe after all these years, what you're selling, people aren't buying. People don't want it. I would be at peace if that were true. The problem is we've never, I've never seen an election where the establishment won on what they're doing. And this is the question that we need answers for. What do you do when you have the Chamber of Commerce sort of, sorts of interests that overpower, especially small, poor states like Mississippi? You know, fifty, dollars $100,000 goes a long way in a state legislative race in these areas. And they just flood the zone on behalf of their candidates. But they run on our issues, broadly at least, in order to get into office to do precisely the opposite. If you have a donor class that hates its base this much, that it's not just willing to be at war with it, but they're not going to run. They don't say Chris McDaniel is a neo-Confederate, culture warrior, you know, um, extremist. No. Delbert Hoseman, actually, I saw the mailers. They made him out to be weak on the culture war. They did not, they don't run on their views, but they have more money to paint their candidates as based and our candidates as, as bad. I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do. This is the job of a movement to get in there and use your voices for, for a great equalizer. We're not doing this. So like I said, it's not just about Trump versus DeSantis. It's turtles all the way down. And it's not even like we're getting mini Trumps that are kind of like, not really where we should be, but maybe better than the establishment. No. Tate Reeves, the governor, re-elected, obviously, with 75%. And Delbert Hoseman, lieutenant governor, re-elected with 51.6%. And all these people in the legislature... And this is true in almost every red state, with few exceptions. They are the same sorts of Republicans that we've had our entire life. The party has not changed one iota. So this is my challenge for my friends that you know are strong supporters of Trump. Um, Steve Bannon, you know, Steve's been very complimentary to me. He's had me on his show. He likes my work. All right, so you want to support Trump, fine, okay. But Steve, you get on there and you always talk about how the, the, the party of Mitch McConnell is over with. No, it's not. Open your eyes. Why has it not changed and what are you going to do to change it? And Trump has been a big part of that. He has at best distracted our people, like in this case because he didn't weigh in, And at worst, he downright weighs in. And again, you would have better candidate recruitment if our people knew that in a solid red state, they challenge an incumbent rhino, they know Trump's going to have their back. But, But he's not. In the irony of all ironies, the one time we saw it make a difference was in Florida. You know, there's a lot of debate over how much of an impact Trump's endorsement made in the 2018 primary for DeSantis versus the establishment guy then. And the premise is false because it's like, well, if he had nothing to do with it, then he doesn't deserve support. But if he did, then I have to support. No, even if he did, I mean, DeSantis is the better candidate for president. I think he I think he does get credit. How much you could debate that, but I think it definitely had a gave gave uh, DeSantis a much needed boost. 
but that's an indictment on Trump in 99% of other cases. You see how easy simply just doing an endorsement, doing a rally could change the direction of the entire party. He didn't do this. And for every one time he did, there's 10 he did the opposite. He could have been that great equalizer that we've needed for so many years. What do you do when you lack money and name ID and you have the establishment that not only has the superior money and name ID, but they're willing to use it to confuse the voters and put out a misinformation campaign and run on our issues, not on who they are. A Trump endorsement wouldn't be 100%, but boy, oh boy, would we win very often. And it hasn't been done. You know, I wrote a column right after Trump lost, and I said, look, I said, here's how Trump could be more powerful than he ever was as president. And, and I basically said, look, you go around in every one of these red states and recruit, not just when it's personal, because someone said you know something about you, but you care about the issues. And then you hold rallies on the legislative sessions on the issues. I was like, man, you, you, you could remake Red America you know, because he's not really electable nationwide anymore, but he's still very popular in deep red states. So at least use it for the good. All right, so it puts him a leg up, makes it very hard for DeSantis to win a primary. Fine, but at least let's benefit from it. No, no, it's just Trump, nothing else. No one pushes him into that. And I was like, all right, maybe I could excuse you as sitting president. You're a sitting leader of the party, so you don't want to endorse against incumbents. But now you certainly, let's, let's go do it. This is why we are where we are. This is why we're going to continue to get what we deserve. The same people, and this is going to happen over and over again. Mississippi sucks. Alabama sucks. Tennessee sucks. Every one of them. You know, the governor there is pushing a whole red flag special session. Can you imagine you have a tranny come in and shoot up a Christian school, and rather than the discussion being the tranny stuff, it's guns. Unbelievable. Unreal. Anyway, our other sponsor today is Birch Gold. We are now, what is it, just uh, less than two weeks away from the Durban Accords. Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa are expected to announce the launch of a new international super currency fully backed by gold or other commodities. The dollar is going down. Inflation, we're going to talk about this. The CPI is coming out tomorrow. It is, it is off to the races. How do you protect yourself against this? Gold is really going up. I mean, silver is at a very big high. Text the word Daniel to 989898 to get a free info kit on gold, IRAs, and 401ks. So, you know, when you can take $6,500 for yourself and then for your spouse, take a tax deduction, um, where are you going to put it? Fidelity, Vanguard? Or are you going to put it into something of value? There's a monumental shift happening among the nations that control one-third of the world's GDP, and it kicks off August 22nd. Arm yourself with information to protect your retirement savings at Birch Gold by texting Daniel to 989898. So, folks, you know, again, I'm the only one calling for this, and if we got a movement together, we could do something with this. This is not going to change until we go from 
popular primaries to state conventions. See, I'm all okay with, you know, they run on their position and they win. I guess the majority of Republican voters want that. But it's not true. State conventions is where you would have activists who understand the issues. Now, yeah, they'll try to game it out too, but right now it's 100% gamed out. We have a 0% success rate in primaries. So this way, at least, you know, we'll have a level playing field where you could run all the Chamber of Commerce ads all you want, but the activists know what you're doing. It's a small number of people. In other words, you know, Usually what happens is, let's say you don't, Chris McDaniel was well known, he had at least somewhat of a campaign in money, so you got 43%. But typically, you know, when you have an incumbent who's a rhino, and you just kind of have a no-name guy in the ballot, he gets about anywhere from 20 to, 20 to 30%. Those are the type of people in the, uh, in, in, in the party that are like, you guys in the audience here, like, you get it, you totally understand the art of politics, you get who's who and what's what. Those are the people that are going to dominate a convention. Absent that, or absent some sort of idea to start a new party, I'm open for all of it. We are doing nothing. So you want to tell me, Daniel, we're, I'm all for Mr. Trump, but I have a plan to really start a new party if that doesn't work, or you know, make red states red. or so. There's no other strategy See, the point of DeSantis is not DeSantis to be president instead of Trump. It's that you're going to have other candidates molded after him, and it will empower Mississippi and Alabama and Tennessee and South Carolina to be like Florida. Right now, Trump doesn't drive policy. He signals to them, if you kiss up to me, I'm fine with you. If not, not. And nothing to do with governance. That's a big part of this. And by the way, I just want to mention, you know, I I, I watch Trump supporters praise him for trashing rhinos that he elevated. It's the most bizarre thing. And I'm not just talking about people that were well within the mainstream of our movement in, in 2016, but then turned sour, you know, they soured on us. So Trump wouldn't have known. I'm talking about people that were the armpit of the party in 2016, the antithesis of why Trump was elected, and he elevated them. So everyone's all into Trump. So, so two things happened yesterday. So DeSantis is the only one in history to remo- use his power to remove Soros prosecutors. He removed another one in Orlando. That's not news. No, it's completely shadow banned. Even though the implication of that is that he has the wherewithal and desire and smarts to get rid of popular people in the federal government. That's literally what you're looking to do. Drain the swamp. So while he's willing to drain other offices that aren't even his cabinet, but he has some sort of legal authority to get rid of, whereas Trump couldn't even drain his own White House. Forget about even the agencies. Not just drain it, he elevated these people and brought them in. He brought in the Soros, Coke, jailbreak, pro-criminal people that share the views of the Orlando prosecutor into his White House. So this all comes full circle. So what's everyone talking about? Trump is based. Why? 
because he said he basically said that Chris he made Chris Christie his fat jokes like he must be busy eating or something. Oh, it was awesome. Okay. And I'm thinking to myself, Chris Christie was hated by the mainstream of the conservative movement by 2016. He's widely credited with electing, re-electing Obama, hugging him, praising him about Hurricane Sandy in 2012. He was the keynote speaker at the Romney convention. He was the embodiment of what was wrong with the pre-Trump Republican Party. Now, it's the same party. <laughs> That's the joke. But what my colleagues that think that Trump changed the party, he was the embodiment. Trump elevated him, brought him into his inner circle, and literally conceded on national television that he chose Christopher Ray at his behest and he made many other decisions, I remember. Ironically, the only reason he was eventually pushed out is because of another ultimate rhino globalist neocon leftist, Jared Kushner, ironically, for the one thing Chris Christie was right about, putting his corrupt Democrat donor dead in jail. I mean, this is Orwellian. I, Trump is the most Orwellian person I've ever seen. And then, in the same day, he trashed he, 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 uh, Mitch McConnell and Elaine Chow, Mitch's wife, as, um, you know, like they got, he said they got rich over the years off of China. And again, Trump elevated Elaine Chow as Secretary of Transportation, put her in the cabinet, and he endorsed Mitch McConnell for his primary three and a half years later. You might say, well, 2016, okay. No, and prevented us from getting him out. So he could literally, action-wise, F us up, undermine us from the pits of hell, but then years later he'll make fun out of the people that he elevated and were only around because of him and he's based. What the hell? Are our people that retarded? That uninformed? This is the job of people who do this full-time. You guys have a full-time job. I'm honored that you listen to me. I don't. I don't have a normal job. I do politics. So at least let me be good at it. At least let me be astute and detail-oriented. These are the things that if you bill yourself as an anti-establishment talk show host, it is your obligation to sort this out. I'll never forget, I was floored. And I didn't have high expectations for him because I warned about it. But when Trump won, and everyone was stunned, November 2020, one after another, he elevated the very people that his supporters wanted out. Ryan's Priebus, his chief of staff. All these guys, like, what in the world? He will do it again. He is doing it again. Remember, the establishment, this generation establishment is even more savvy than the previous one. They'll all kiss up to Trump, and that's all he needs, his ego. Tucker Carlson, who kisses his ass and is now in business with Don Jr., admitted it himself. That's his biggest weakness. But that's a huge security concern. If you're in a war against the establishment, and you know your general, his biggest weakness is flattery, and a bunch of establishment people flatter him, that's a big problem. 
And now we have seven years worth of history with him. That's his praise for Lindsey Graham. Again, there's two types of people that are around him. There's two types of people. There's Laura Loomers, and then there's sleazy, non-principled establishment types. When I say non-principled, I mean even according to their way of thinking. Like, they hate Trump privately, but they want to ride the wave. So it's not going to be the Laura Loomers. I know she, they said she was asking, she wants to be uh, get, a, get a position. <laughs> you know, so it's not going to be her as Secretary of Treasury. It's going to be a, a, a Lindsey Graham type. And there's an unlimited supply of them. DeSantis is the only one who has a cadre of people around him that he has built up that believe in what we believe in and they're smart on policy and they could serve in these positions and get up there and make the case. By the way, no Republican would have the guts to fire a black prosecutor like that. I'm just going to point that out. He doesn't care. But we're continuing to spin our wheels. We're continuing to spin our wheels. We're not getting anywhere. And we don't have time. The left is implementing their agenda at breakneck speed. We got to fortify our states. I don't understand how people are not looking, like even, even forgetting about Trump. Now, of course, with Trump, DeSantis is a dirt and, and we have to ignore every good thing he's doing in Florida. But that's only been a couple months. Why was there no effort to be like, aha, wait a minute. We used to struggle to win Florida. Well, if we could get a guy to accomplish this much in Florida and then win re-election by 20 points, why in the world do we not have anyone doing this at every level in Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Arkansas, Missouri, Tennessee, South Carolina, the Dakotas, Idaho, Wyoming, Oklahoma, Nebraska, right on and on. That should be the question. But there is no desire to even focus on that. So we're going to continue to get what we get. And that leads me to the next point, the next part of this. And that is the Ohio abortion vote. So obviously the the vote technically wasn't directly on abortion. It was issue one. And on paper, all the ballot was is to require, yes would have been, a yes vote is to require in all future constitutional amendment proposals, ballot initiatives, to change the Ohio Constitution, you need, in order for it to pass, you need a 60% threshold. A no would be, no, I want to keep the status quo and not have a 60% threshold, but a simple majority yes would prevail in the future to change the Ohio Constitution. Now, so, so what were the results? It got crushed. Ohio was a trending red state. They have super majority. Republicans have super majorities. And even in a red state, it lost 57-43. Got crushed. I mean, that, that, that's considered a landslide, especially for what should be a very red state, or at least, you know, trending red. It used to be, fair, until fairly recently, a swing state, but it's changed based on, you know, just the type of issues the Democrats run on. And now, even though that was technically the language, but it was very much a proxy fight for abortion because in November, 
they plan the left plans on trying to enshrine abortion into the constitution and you know republicans wanted to preempt that with a 60 vote threshold and it failed so now before i do the main analysis i just want to just just throw out some caveats that i think are important um, but it only gets you a few points. It, 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 the fundamental point that I'm going to make is still true. So um, they got 43% in favor. Now, you might say, well, that means that if this is a proxy vote for the November abortion vote, that means we're doomed because there's only 43% on the right side and they're going to win. Now, so there's two important caveats. Number one, it's not exactly synonymous, like a one-to-one ratio that – you know, this is, you know, you agree to enshrine a right to abortion. I'd say it's maybe more like 85% because there is an element that of populism here that the language itself is you're taking away power from the people, so to speak. Like we want to do a lot of our own ballot initiatives to enshrine a right to bodily autonomy for medical freedom, right? So, you know, it's like you're limiting the power of the people to change the constitution. There is an element of that. It's, it's not exactly a question of abortion. So when you have on itself, there's a fundamental right to abortion, you would hope you'd be able to gain a few points with that. And I think that there is truth to that. So, you know, that, you know, maybe that gets you closer to 50. And then this is the, so, so right now in a post-Dobbs world, there's a huge gap asymmetry and enthusiasm and, and intensity on both sides. And this is going to parlay into my main point. But the left, so so in a post-Dobbs world, our side thinks, oh, we won, go home. You know, the dog caught the car, uh, row is over with, and, you know, now we go home. And the left is like, oh my gosh, we're fighting for our survival, and they're fighting as if their life is on the line. And they're fighting as intense as you can get. So when you have an election that is exclusively about that, it's literally August, midsummer, people are away, no candidate, governor, Senate. You know, it wasn't like Mississippi that had local elections. You know, county, it's literally just ballot questions. You know, randomly uh, dumped into an off-year August election. And it's a general election. It wasn't a primary. It was the whole electorate. So obviously their intensity gap is going to be a huge, huge advantage. They had a money advantage. It was this wealthy Swiss interest that was dark money funding it. That's all true. So I'm not going to say that you, you, you put those factors together. You have a very intense presidential or, well, it's not presidential, it, it still is kind of off here, actually. It's November, but it's, you know, somewhat more going on, you know, and it's directly a question over abortion. Maybe, maybe, maybe they can do a little better. That is definitely true. But what are we talking about? We're talking about maybe underdog possibly eking out 51% against enshrining a right to abortion in a freaking state like Ohio. You put this together with Kansas, Montana, Kentucky. Now, some of these, it depended. There were confounders. Ballot questions are very tough. Sometimes the wording was very confusing. I remember the Montana one. I was like, I literally thought the no was yes and yes was no. You had like a double negative in the, in the Kentucky one. There's an element of that.
But you can't deny it is slaughtering us in swing states and even in red states. It's losing when it's directly on the ballot, if not for the candidates themselves, meaning maybe the Republican candidates still win. But, you know, the issue certainly is a loser. There is no question that where we stand right now in the world we're in, in the environment we're in, with the Republicans we have, the articulation they have, and the set of issues that they stand for and don't stand for, it is a losing issue. Now, does this mean we should completely dump it overboard? No. No, you always fight for what you believe in, and you find ways to properly implement it. But what it does mean is this. Now, there's several things going on here. First, let me just um, diagnose what I think is going on and before what I think should, should happen, both to save every one of our other issues that I believe are much more imminent and important. I mean, look, I did the show yesterday, literally yesterday, on why dangerous vaccines for your children is more of an abortion than an abortion. It's a forced abortion. But... You know, how I think we save our other issues and abortion itself. So to diagnose it, look, you look at all the things the left is doing to us. Openly pro-criminal, openly pro-open borders, openly for the biomedical security state. They, they're for fascism. They, they want to surveil you. They're against your privacy. You see why I'm focusing on the right to privacy. Man is woman, the tranny stuff. These guys are bat, bat bleep crazy. These guys are nuts. These are issues that their parents as Democrats couldn't relate to. They want you to eat bugs, live with nothing. They're open about that. Food, fuel. There are so many important issues we could focus on to show that we are the ones who are empathetic to the hum human race, to paint them as anti-human. There are so many issues, but the Republican Party doesn't do it. Either they're silent or they're inarticulate or they downright stand with the left and the Chamber of Commerce on those issues. So we have an imbalanced party. If you ask me, Daniel, is abortion a winning issue or not? The answer is, like, like most issues, it depends on the context and the packaging of your messaging and movement and what you're doing and messaging and accomplishing on other issues. If you're standing for the people and being a strong, successful leader on 50 other issues, it won't hurt you. Hence DeSantis. DeSantis won the women vote. He won independence. He won by 20. He won Palm Beach County. Do you, if you would poll a majority of Palm Beach County, do you believe in the heartbeat bill? No, it wouldn't get a majority. It wouldn't even be close, I don't think. But he still won. Why? Because he shows he's an effective leader who stands for the people. He's pro-human. He fought for them, their right to bodily autonomy on many other issues. Mike DeWine in Ohio is the worst of the worst. He's the polar opposite. He sucks on every single issue. And now they got a speaker who literally works with the Democrats. They flush their supermajorities. So they don't demonstrate what conservative, conservative governance is and how it works for the people and how it protects their rights, how it protects their future, their prosperity, their privacy. 
But then on abortion, they're pedal to the metal. We have a very weird party. They're pedal to the metal on abortion because that was the one issue to get Republican voters to keep voting Republican. It was a scam. It's a rhino protection scam. But then you do have some legitimate people I want to talk about that believe in it. But I believe they're being a little bit too imbalanced and imprudent strategically about it. Given the Republican Party we have, it is what it is. Mike DeWine locked down Ohio. He had mandates. People died because of him. Okay, he was just as bad. But he's solid, signed the heartbeat bill. Solid on that. Now, to be fair, I don't think he was so into strategically. He wasn't really pushing this amendment. It was mainly the Secretary of State, but whatever. But Mike DeWine is the embodiment of the problem with our obsession with abortion at the expense of every freaking other issue. See, if you're coming before the people and the last three years you had our messaging on this show, our body, my body, my choice, you're controlling my breathing, you're controlling my body, you're putting poisonous things in our body, and then let's say you had a party that didn't stand for the Patriot Act and TSA and all the surveillance and the lists and the tracking, you could harness the populism on the right to privacy. And then you harness the economic stuff that we talk about every day on how these people are open that they don't want you to live with the standard of living of your parents and grandparents. And here's what we're going to do for you. And then you come in and say, look, we're for bodily autonomy. The difference here is you're killing a human life. That gives you a little, that gives you much more clout to fight on that issue. And then also, let's not forget that most Republicans are dirtbags. Who is the image of the Republican Party? Er, uh, Mr. Trump? Imagine people that are very passionate about, you know, don't tell me what to do with my body. Having your lead messenger on that, lead party leader, a man with those sort of morals, as opposed to a guy like DeSantis. You can't make the case. Republicans don't live the life of someone that looks like they're concerned. I'm going to help you. We're going to make adoption easier and, and bring a whole culture of life to a state. Make medical freedom a part of pro-life. Talk about what happened in the hospitals and how we need to get better with health care. Make it part of whole life cause. But they don't. They just go pedal to the metal. And, and, and even some good conservatives, they're like, I want to give the death penalty to the mother. So they give the impression that it's like they, they, they offer them nothing, but I'm going to go pedal to the metal on abortion. That is a loser. In the context of the time we live in, that's a loser and it's not worth it. Because you're not going to get, you're not going to succeed on abortion as we're seeing, and you're going to screw up every other issue. So notice when I give my list of eight, top eight, ten issues, I don't mention abortion. Because, I mean, whether we like it or not, it's been going on for years when we had a much more moral society worth with 90% going to church and we didn't have any of this homosexual, transgender craziness. But that's been around because abortion is a tougher issue. At the end of the day, it's part of the mother's body. That's the complication of it. It's murder. I believe it's murder. I'm just telling you, that's the one part. Who, 
Whoever harnesses the best liberty message wins an election. The, the pro, abortion now uh, that's not liberty because it's because it's murder and and you agree agree with that I agree with that but but that's the tough issue there every other issue we could harness liberty so if you don't utilize the opportunities to fight for liberty and bodily autonomy and privacy where it does align with our principles and values you miss that ability to fight for this you talk about Crime, abortion, trannyism. Taking away people's appliances and, and air conditioning. The other issues. These are 70-30 issues. Abortion's not. Abortion was always kind of divided, and it depends how far you get along the you know pregnancy, it, the polling changes. But if you want to put it overall, generally throughout most of history, it was always pretty divided, but actually a slight majority for the other side. And certainly in a, so so now like, you know, again, you accentuate the late term and partial birth and culture of barbaric practices of doing it. It's super majority our side. You start coming to like, you know, really early pregnancy. It it goes the other way. And you start really making the issue about rape. It goes the other way. The problem post Dobbs is that it has helped accentuate the issue that they're going to ban it categorically. So it makes the issue about that. And that's why, again, the lesson is to continue to focus on their extreme. And that's true of every issue. That's why when you saw DeSantis gave us the, the messaging on that, in that interview, when he talked about how um, with Dasha, whatever her name from NBC, how Democrats are trying to do this as the baby's born, she's like, no Democrats doing that. So you see it's a winning issue. She had to lie and deny that. So that is the future. I think you really have to work on promoting that issue you have to work on a culture of life whole life medical freedom it's got to be a part of that privacy you got to ch- the republicans need to become the party of privacy again killing a baby is not privacy but you know if you harness that it will make it easier to fight for that issue you got to have candidates who are moral themselves and practice what they preach how many major Republican candidates have we had so far that have come out that they quietly paid their girlfriend to get an abortion? People laugh at the Republican Party, and, and, and frankly, rightfully so. That, that I'm just giving you the honest thing. So where we are now, I would not lead on that issue. I'm sorry. Because at the end of the day, I'm not getting an abortion, and no one I know is. But they are taking away my food, fuel, a bodily autonomy, they're killing people in hospitals. I can't avoid that. I'm sorry. I'm not going to lie down on the tracks and lose every state and lose every issue, including abortion. You're going to lose it anyway because of that. And that's where people like the Susan B. Anthony Institute are wrong. And I hate these single-issue groups that have no balance and understanding of the issues of the time, of the issues of the moment. You could plop them into because they built an, an industry. That's where their salaries get paid. They built an industry off of that. For 50 years, we talk about this issue with the exclusion of every issue. It's like Obamacare. Um, let's just make so I doesn't find abortion. No, the issue is not abortion. There's a time to fight that. The issue is Obamacare. Okay, every last thing. Oh, vaccine funding. Let's make so the eight-day death funding doesn't go to abortion. No, no, no. We're fighting a different issue now. Shut up. Stop hijacking it. So here we have DeSantis, who is the best packaging, and we have data to show it, 
if you care about the life issue and every other issue. It's through that sort of packaging how you're going to do it. And they want to trap him to say, DeSantis, you need to come out and go above every other candidate and say, right now, you're going to impose a federal heartbeat bill right now. It's stupid to blow yourself up on that. Now, I disagree with Trump the other way, automatically taking it off the table. You want to reserve that right and hope and pray and work to fight and reach that point. But you're not going to, it's stupid to lead on that issue. And they're doing a huge disservice and then they bash him for not being, then what do you get? By the way, I used to fight with them. Back in the day, you used to have like, around 2010, 2012, you had the remaining red state fake social conservative Democrats. And in order to win a Republican majority, you had to defeat these people, right? So they would officially say they're pro-life. And they were frauds, because if you were pro-life, you wouldn't be a Democrat, right? It was the whole kind of like the Joe Manchin type of fraud. So these people would come in and endorse the Democrat because they were so into their one issue and wanted to show bipartisan, fake bipartisan support that they would completely undermine us on every other issue and ultimately their issue abortion as well. So these people need to get with the program too. You need to work in the culture, create a culture of life, adoption, and then more well-rounded Republican candidates, both personal, personally on issues, medical freedom has to be the lead pro-life issue, and then you're going to get elected, and then you could do something with it. And maybe people might disagree with you, but you have enough built-up clout to fight the other issues. There's a very unique take that you're not going to hear anywhere else. But, you know, it is a reality. And sometimes you got to work with, with a certain reality. Like, for example, I think Medicare sucks. Medicare is killing healthcare. It needs to go. Would I advise a candidate to lead with that? No, you got to fix healthcare in other ways, opening up a parallel market to ultimately create more tri- price transparency and alternatives that will eventually get back to, you know, direct payment and direct primary care to a point that will kind of phase people out. But right now, people need it. There's nothing you can do, even though I don't believe in it. Social Security, I don't believe in it. I think it was unconstitutional. And frankly, Social Security and Medicare are the biggest drivers of the debt. It does limit your ability to deal with the debt if you're not going to touch it. But nonetheless, I and I've said this before, the value add... In other words, if you have a bunch of issues that are 70-30 and then another issue that's a 30-70, I have so many ways of winning an election and focusing to get in there and do good things on that and maybe some of the issues that are less you know, politically uh, popular if I lead on the other issues. But right now, from a 30,000-foot view in the eyes of swing voters, the Republican Party is a blah, just a nothingness. They don't really stand out to them, they're not really doing anything, but they know they're sure as hell anti-abortion. That's this imbalance that these single-issue groups have created within the party. You can't go like a nut on one issue with the exclusion of everything. It has to be balanced. And notice, I have a bunch of issues I focus on. You can never be a single issue. It's just not going to work. Look, if you want to 
lose on this issue, I respect you. It's better than losing on everything else we lose. At least it's something that is morally right in principle. I'm just saying strategically, I think it's dumb. Notice, I'm not saying like the typical GOP thing is the panic, oh, let's just throw this issue off our ship. I'm saying you need to work work it. Like what's going to have to happen with this issue is kind of with the homosexual agenda. The Republicans sabotaged us over the years on that. It got very popular. And then over time, we had to suffer under it. And then it went so crazy, it's going back the other way because it's great. So you're going to have to wait for them to just go so crazy and start with this, um, you know, kind of more like Gosnell sorts of stories of just appalling barbaric acts, starving babies after they're born, things like that to, to turn the tide. It's going to have to work that way. And, and you see it is working that way on the other issue. But I've said all along for years, social conservatism was defined by, you know, let's say gay marriage and the homosexual agenda and then abortion. And 90% of Republicans would only focus on abortion and they were actually horrible on the, the, the real culture. And when I would vet candidates, I would focus on the opposite. Because to me, my kids are not seeing people being aborted in the streets. I mean, at least as of now, it's pri- it doesn't affect them. How do I explain a world to them where a woman's not a man? That affects me much more. Crime is a pro-life issue. The drug trafficking is a pro-life issue. Forced dangerous poison shots is a pro-life issue. Having a barbaric, quasi-venture socialist hospital medical system is a massive pro-life issue. Okay? More people died from the vaccines this year than were aborted. That's a reality. you got to show some balance. You know, I've, I've spoken to some legislators in certain um, states that are broadly with us, and I wanted to talk about a bunch of different issues, and all they wanted to talk about was abortion. I mean, that's fine. It's just you're not going to win on that issue. You're going to sabotage your own issue, and you're going to sacrifice everything else that we could easily win on. Politics, you do have to be strategic. I myself have a bunch of issues that I believe in that I know aren't popular with the brainwashed secular public. But you got to start out with your winning ones and then then you get in, you govern properly and then you slip in some things. Like one of the good things DeSantis does is he does a bunch of things that are non-ideological too. Like, you know, taking care of the beaches, taking care of the Everglades, being competent in the face of hurricanes and rebuilding bridges in 3 days. It builds up that kind of goodwill. There's a lot of things you can, the GOP does nothing good. I'm not excusing these voters, you know, that are otherwise, you know, upset with the Democrats, but they'll, you know, be motivated by abortion. It's pathetic. But it is what it is. And this is what we have to contend with. And it's creeping into even red states. And this is all part of how they're turning red states blue. We got to do better. We got to do better. And and folks, I just want to close with this. Why is there such an urgency to A, actually focus on red states, focus on the primaries, the legislative sessions, make them red. But again, also, you know, that's the first part of our discussion with Mississippi and Chris McDaniel, the legislature, but also, you know, what we see in Ohio to just do it smartly, you know, to expend your political capital smartly. Um, because 
it just I want to run run down very quickly. Really, these things need to be addressed in greater detail. But but several stories here. So you have in um, Minnesota, Officer Tao, the guy that merely stood there, you know, as a junior officer to Derek Chauvin during the Floyd arrest, he literally did nothing. I mean, as we well know, had Floyd been white, Chauvin himself wouldn't have served a day in jail. Tao was sentenced to 57 months, almost five years, while the guy who burned down the Minneapolis police station got two years. These people are wicked. This is what's coming to every state if you don't block it out. And you don't, I mean, in, in, in the blue cities within the red states, it's already like that. That's a whole other thing. I want to talk about how Florida, again, DeSantis is the only one doing that. It's so important. He's leaning into blue cities, getting rid of their people, changing, you know, doing battle against blue cities. I think we need uh, other states to adopt the Florida law where the governor could um, get rid of local officials for incompetence or things like that but i mean we need a place to go you see what i'm saying like if i tell you you're not in all you're not going to have a place to to live anymore uh to defend yourself against the criminals they release and the illegals and the drugs we're gonna have self-spreading vaccines you can have medicine you you know you can't find a normal hospital i mean i i yeah I'm sorry, is abortion really the thing to fight for? Again, you might hear people say something similar, but I'm not saying in the respect that we should permanently give up on it. I'm saying this is a smarter way. There are certain issues you implement, but you don't lead with relative to others. I just don't think it is worth dying on it. Frankly, there's a part, devilish side of me that's like, heck, kill your babies. You know, Don't kill mine. I'm saving mine. And you know, at the end of the day, what they're doing is a forced abortion. But this is what we're having in blue states. We can't have this here. Let's go on. In Portland, a jury found, um, this is from the post-millennial, the jury reached a verdict in the case of Andy No from post-millennial who was viciously, viciously attacked, um, and they they acquitted them, the Antifa attackers. Uh CNN headline, amid a surge in crime in Oakland, California, police have advised residents to use air horns to alert neighbors to intruders and add security bars to their doors and windows. Okay, this this is what's coming. And again, it's going to come in the blue cities, in red states. Um, This is from Cassandra McDonald on Twitter. Massachusetts has banned a couple from having foster children due to their Christian beliefs about marriage, sexuality, and gender. There's currently a shortage of foster families. And this is a great way to parlay into abortion, by the way. And over 1,500 children without foster. Mike is an Iraq war veteran. And Kitty, his wife, is a former uh, paraprofessional for special needs children. They're now suing the state for discriminating against them based on their views. During home interviews, the Burks noticed that many of the questions were being asked focused on their Catholic beliefs. The couple insisted they would love every child, no matter you know, what their struggles with gender identity are. However, because Mike and Kitty said that they would continue to hold to their religious beliefs about gender and human sexuality, Massachusetts denied them a license to foster any child um, because, quote, their faith is not supportive and neither are they. Beckett Law is uh, handling their case. Folks, this, this is done. You know, the most important thing is to reclaim and fortify our red areas 
I mean, if you're a red area in a blue state, you're done. <laughs> but we need to, you know, certainly the red areas in the red states and then reclaim the cities in the red states. And DeSantis is the only one showing this. And I mean, again and again, you see the contrast. One person can't do it alone, but he's at least hinting, moving towards what it should look like with the exclusion of every other Republican. And we will just want to continue blinding ourselves, satiating ourselves on clothes that don't warm us, food that doesn't fill us, a sack that doesn't hold our stuff. And the more doom, the more this stuff... I mean, look, I could do great shows on these blue state crazy stuff and you can get great ratings. It's crazy. But do you actually want to do something about it? I want to make it that in our red states, I don't have anything to doom about. I don't have anything to criticize and complain. It's all good. I want to implement. Let's strive for something better. And one of the things I want to get to is as we're talking, the dirtbag Tennessee governor, he's pushing for a special session and a couple coming up for Medicaid expansion, red flags, and subsidies to hospitals, all draped under the guise of addressing mental health. I mean, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. You know, Tennessee, on some measures, is the most red-trending state. I believe, I believe Tennessee is the only state that Trump did better in in 2020 than 2016, so he improved his margin. It's a trending red state. And, well, maybe Florida, too. But I know I know Tennessee is one of those. And there's barely any Democrats left in the legislature, like maybe six in the Senate or something. And yet, this is what you have. You have a governor that lets out the criminals and then complains about crime and wants red flag laws. And rather than going after trannyism... Goes after, allows a tranny to shoot up a Christian school rather than using that to talk about the inherent violence endemic in this hormoning, uh, testosteroning up of women. He'll talk about red flag laws at a time of when we're all concerned about weaponizing against our political beliefs. This entire show, again, Put aside the presidential election. What bothers me so much about my colleagues is that they have no desire to focus on it. They have no plan to deal with this. And the one person who is helping serve as a model and demonstrating this, they're kneecapping and undermining so that rather than these you know, people like Bill Lee in Tennessee being pressured to be more like him, they're like, ha, ha, ha. What a jerk. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll praise Trump and continue to be a Chamber Soros Koch brother and be praised by MAGA while DeSantis does all that stuff they say they want and now he, he, he's being called Jeb Bush and Mitt Romney. Good going, guys. Great movement. Great movement. But you know what? You'll always be there to make money. But what does that do for the rest of us? Till tomorrow. God bless y'all. And thank you for listening.